section nine of psychology of the unconscious by carl jung this librivox recording is in the public domain section nine chapter four the song of the moth a little later miss miller travelled from geneva to paris she says my weariness on the railway was so great that i could hardly sleep an hour it was terrifically hot in the lady's carriage at four o'clock in the morning she noticed a moth that flew against the light in her compartment she then tried to go to sleep again suddenly the following poem took possession of her mind the moth to the sun i longed for thee when first i crawled to consciousness my dreams were all of thee when in the chrysalis i lay oft myriads of my kind beat out their lives against some feeble spark once caught from thee and one hour more and my poor life is gone yet my last effort as my first desire shall be but to approach thy glory then having gained one raptured glance i'll die content for i the source of beauty warmth and life have in his perfect splendour once beheld before we go into the material which miss miller offers us for the understanding of the poem we will again cast a glance over the psychologic situation in which the poem originated some months or weeks appear to have elapsed since the last direct manifestation of the unconscious that miss miller reported to us about this period we have had no information we learn nothing about the moods and fantasies of this time if one might draw a conclusion from this silence it would be presumably that in the time which elapsed between the two poems really nothing of importance had happened and that therefore this poem is again but a voiced fragment of the unconscious working of the complex stretching out over months and years it is highly probable that it is concerned with the same complex as before the earlier product a hymn of creation full of hope has however but little similarity to the present poem the poem lying before us has a truly hopeless melancholy character moth and sun two things which never meet one must in fairness ask is a moth really expected to rise to the sun we know indeed the proverbial saying about the moth that flew into the light and singed its wings but not the legend of the moth that strove towards the sun plainly here two things are connected in her thoughts that do not belong together first the moth which fluttered around the light so long that it burnt itself and then the idea of a small ephemeral being something like the day-fly which in lamentable contrast to the eternity of the stars longs for an imperishable daylight this idea reminds one of faust mark how beneath the evening sunlight's glow the green embosomed houses glitter the glow retreats done is the day of toil it yonder hastes new fields of life exploring ah that no wing can lift me from the soil upon its track to follow follow soaring then would i see eternal evening gild the silent world beneath me glowing yet finally 
the weary god is sinking the new-born impulse fires my mind i hasten on his beams eternal drinking the day before me and the night behind above me heaven unfurled the floor of waves beneath me a glorious dream though now the glories fade alas the wings that lift the mind no aid of wings to lift the body can bequeath me not long afterwards faust sees the black dog roving there through cornfields and stubble the dog who is the same as the devil the tempter in whose hellish fires faust has singed his wings when he believed that he was expressing his great longing for the beauty of the sun and the earth he went astray thereover and fell into the hands of the evil one yes resolute to reach some brighter distance on earth's fair sun i turn my back this is what faust had said shortly before in true recognition of the state of affairs the honouring of the beauty of nature led the christian of the middle ages to pagan thoughts which lay in an antagonistic relation to his conscious religion just as once mithraism was in threatening competition with christianity for satan often disguises himself as an angel of light the longing of faust became his ruin the longing for the beyond had brought as a consequence a loathing for life and he stood on the brink of self-destruction the longing for the beauty of this world led him anew to ruin into doubt and pain even to marguerite's tragic death his mistake was that he followed after both worlds with no check to the driving force of his libido like a man of violent passion faust portrays once more the folk psychologic conflict of the beginning of the christian era but what is noteworthy in a reversed order against what fearful powers of seduction christ had to defend himself by means of his hope of the absolute world beyond may be seen in the example of olypius in augustine if any of us had been living in that period of antiquity he would have seen clearly that that culture must inevitably collapse because humanity revolted against it it is well known that even before the spread of christianity a remarkable expectation of redemption had taken possession of mankind the following eclogue of virgil might well be a result of this mood the last age of cumian prophecy has come already over again the great series of the ages commences now too returns the virgin return the saturnian kingdoms now at length a new progeny is sent down from high heaven only chaste lucina to the boy at his birth be propitious in whose time first the age of iron shall discontinue and in the whole world a golden age arise now rules thy apollo under thy guidance if any traces of our guilt continue rendered harmless they shall set the earth free from fear for ever he shall partake of the life of the gods and he shall see heroes mingled with gods and he too shall be seen by them and he shall rule a peaceful world with his father's virtues the turning to asceticism resulting from the general expansion of christianity brought about a new misfortune to many monasticism and the life of the anchorite faust takes the reverse course for him the ascetic ideal means death he struggles for freedom and wins life at the same time giving himself over to the evil one but through this he becomes the bringer of death to her whom he loves most marguerite 
he tears himself away from pain and sacrifices his life in unceasing useful work through which he saves many lives his double mission as saviour and destroyer has already been hinted in a preliminary manner wagner with what a feeling thou great man must thou receive the people's honest veneration faust thus we our hellish boluses compounding among these vales and hills surrounding worse than the pestilence have passed thousands were done to death from poison of my giving and i must hear by all the living the shameless murderers praised at last a parallel to this double role is that text in the gospel of matthew which has become historically significant i came not to send peace but a sword matthew ten thirty four just this constitutes the deep significance of gerdes faust that he clothes in words a problem of modern man which has been turning in restless slumber since the renaissance just as was done by the drama of oedipus for the hellenic sphere of culture what is to be the way out between the scylla of renunciation of the world and the charybdis of the acceptance of the world the hopeful tone voiced in the hymn to the god of creation cannot continue very long with our author the pose simply promises but does not fulfil the old longing will come again for it is a peculiarity of all complexes worked over merely in the unconscious that they lose nothing of their original amount of effect meanwhile their outward manifestations can change almost endlessly one might therefore consider the first poem as an unconscious longing to solve the conflict through positive religiousness somewhat in the same manner as they of the earlier centuries decided their conscious conflicts by opposing to them the religious standpoint this wish does not succeed now with the second poem there follows a second attempt which turns out in a decidedly more material way its thought is unequivocal only once having gained one raptured glance and then to die from the realms of the religious world the attention just as in faust turns towards the sun of this world and already there is something mingled with it which has another sense that is to say the moth which fluttered so long around the light that it burnt its wings we now pass to that which miss miller offers for the better understanding of the poem she says this small poem made a profound impression upon me i could not of course find immediately a sufficiently clear and direct explanation for it however a few days later when i once more read a certain philosophical work which i had read in berlin the previous winter and which i had enjoyed very much i was reading it aloud to a friend i came across the following words la même aspiration passionnée de la mythe vers l'étoile de l'homme vers dieu the same passionate longing of the moth for the star of man for god i had forgotten this sentence entirely but it seemed very clear to me that precisely these words had reappeared in my hypnagogic poem in addition to that it occurred to me that a play seen some years previously la mythe et la flamme was a further possible cause of the poem it is easy to see how often the word moth had been impressed upon me the deep impression made by the poem upon the author shows that she put into it a large amount of love in the expression aspiration passionne we meet the passionate longing of the moth for the star of man for god and indeed the moth is miss miller herself her last observation that the word moth was often impressed upon her shows how often she had noticed the word moth as applicable to herself 
her longing for god resembles the longing of the moth for the star the reader will recall that this expression has already had a place in the earlier material when the morning stars sang together that is to say the ship's officer who sings on deck in the night watch the passionate longing for god is the same as that longing for the singing morning stars it was pointed out at great length in the foregoing chapter that this analogy is to be expected sic parvis componere magna solebam it is shameful or exalted just as one chooses that the divine longing of humanity which is really the first thing to make it human should be brought into connection with an erotic fantasy such a comparison jars upon the finer feelings therefore one is inclined in spite of the undeniable facts to dispute the connection an italian steersman with brown hair and black moustache and the loftiest dearest conception of humanity these two things cannot be brought together against this not only our religious feelings revolt but our taste also rebels it would certainly be unjust to make a comparison of the two objects as concrete things since they are so heterogeneous one loves a beethoven sonata but one loves caviar also it would not occur to any one to liken the sonata to caviar it is a common error for one to judge the longing according to the quality of the object the appetite of the gourmand which is only satisfied with goose liver and quail is no more distinguished than the appetite of the labouring man for corned beef and cabbage the longing is the same the object changes nature is beautiful only by virtue of the longing and love given her by man the aesthetic attributes emanating from that has influence primarily on the libido which alone constitutes the beauty of nature the dream recognizes this well when it depicts a strong and beautiful feeling by means of a representation of a beautiful landscape whenever one moves in the territory of the erotic it becomes altogether clear how little the object and how much the love means the sexual object is as a rule overrated far too much and that only on account of the extreme degree to which libido is devoted to the object apparently miss miller had but little left over for the officer which is humanly very intelligible but in spite of that a deep and lasting effect emanates from this connection which places divinity on a par with the erotic object the moods which apparently are produced by these objects do not however spring from them but are manifestations of her strong love when miss miller praises either god or the sun she means her love that deepest and strongest impulse of the human and animal being the reader will recall that in the preceding chapter the following chain of synonyms was adduced the singer god of sound singing morning star creator god of light sun fire god of love at that time we had placed sun and fire in parentheses now they are entitled to their right place in the chain of synonyms with the changing of the erotic impression from the affirmative to the negative the symbols of light occur as the paramount object in the second poem where the longings clearly exposed it is by no means the terrestrial sun since the longing has been turned away from the real object its object has become first of all a subjective one namely god psychologically however god is the name of a representation complex which is grouped around a strong feeling the sum of libido properly the feeling is what gives character and reality to the complex 
the attributes and symbols of the divinity must belong in a consistent manner to the feeling longing love libido and so on if one honours god the sun or the fire then one honours one's own vital force the libido it is as seneca says god is near you he is with you in you god is our own longing to which we pay divine honours if it were not known how tremendously significant religion was and is this marvellous play with oneself would appear absurd there must be something more than this however because notwithstanding its absurdity it is in a certain sense conformable to the purpose in the highest degree to bear a god within oneself signifies a great deal it is a guarantee of happiness of power indeed even of omnipotence as far as these attributes belong to the deity to bear god within one's self signifies just as much as to be god one's self in christianity where it is true the grossly sensual representations and symbols are weeded out as carefully as possible which seems to be a continuation of the poverty of symbols of the jewish cult there are to be found plain traces of this psychology there are even plainer traces to be sure in the becoming one with god in those mysteries closely related to the christian where the mystic himself is lifted up to divine adoration through initiatory rites at the close of the consecration into the isis mysteries the mystic was crowned with the palm crown he was placed on a pedestal and worshipped as helios in the magic papyrus of the mithraic liturgy published by diederich there is the sacred word of the consecrated one i am a star wandering about with you and flaming up from the depths the mystic in religious ecstasies put himself on a plane with the stars just as a saint of the middle ages put himself by means of the stigmata on a level with christ st francis of assisi expressed this in a truly pagan manner even as far as a close relationship with the brother sun and the sister moon these representations of becoming one with god are very ancient the old belief removed the becoming one with god until the time after death the mysteries however suggest this as taking place already in this world a very old text brings most beautifully before one this unity with god it is the song of triumph of the ascending soul i am the god atum i who alone was i am the god ray at his first splendour i am the great god self-created god of gods to whom no other god compares i was yesterday and know to-morrow the battleground of gods was made when i spoke i know the name of that great god who tarries therein i am that great phoenix who is in heliopolis who there keeps account of all there is of all that exists i am the god men at his coming forth who placed the feathers upon my head i am in my country i come into my city daily i am together with my father atum my impurity is driven away and the sin which was in me is overcome i wash myself in those two great pools of water which are in heracleopolis in which is purified the sacrifice of mankind for that great god who abideth there i go on my way to where i wash my head in the sea of the righteous i arrive at this land of the glorified and enter through the splendid portal thou who standest before me stretch out to me thy hands it is i i am become one of thee daily am i together with my father atum the identification with god necessarily has as a result the enhancing of the meaning and power of the individual that seems first of all to have been really its purpose a strengthening of the individual against his all too great weakness and insecurity in real life 
this great megalomania thus has a genuinely pitiable background the strengthening of the consciousness of power is however only an external result of the becoming one with god of much more significance are the deeper lying disturbances in the realm of feeling whoever introverts libido that is to say whoever takes it away from a real object without putting in its place a real compensation is overtaken by the inevitable results of introversion the libido which is turned inward into the subject awakens again from among the sleeping remembrances one which contains the path upon which earlier the libido once had come to the real object at the very first and in foremost position it was father and mother who were the objects of the childish love they are unequalled and imperishable now many difficulties are needed in an adult's life to cause those memories to reawaken and to become effectual in religion the regressive reanimation of the father and mother imago is organized into a system the benefits of religion are the benefits of parental hands its protection and its peace are the results of parental care upon the child its mystic feelings are the unconscious memories of the tender emotions of the first childhood just as the hymn expresses it i am in my country i come into my city daily am i together with my father atum the visible father of the world is however the sun the heavenly fire therefore father god son fire are mythologically synonymous the well-known fact that in the sun's strength the great regenerative power of nature is honoured shows plainly very plainly to any one to whom as yet it may not be clear that in the deity man honours his own libido and naturally in the form of the image or symbol of the present object of transference this symbol faces us in an especially marked manner in the third logos of the Diederik papyrus after the second prayer stars come from the disk of the sun to the mystic five-pointed in quantities filling the whole air if the sun's disk has expanded you will see an immeasurable circle and fiery gates which are shut off the mystic utters the following prayer hear me grant me my prayer binding together the fiery bolts of heaven with spirit two-bodied fiery sky creator of humanity fire-breathing fiery spirited spiritual being rejoicing in fire beauty of humanity ruler of humanity of fiery body like giver to men fire scattering fire agitated life of humanity fire world mover of men who confounds with thunder famed among men increasing the human race enlightening humanity conqueror of stars the invocation is as one sees almost inexhaustible in light and fire attributes and can be likened in its extravagance only to the synonymous attributes of love of the mystic of the middle ages among the innumerable texts which might be used as an illustration of this i select a passage from the writings of nechtild von madgeberg twelve twelve to twelve seventy seven o lord love me excessively and love me often and long the oftener you love me so much the purer do i become the more excessively you love me the more beautiful i become the longer you love me the more holy will i become here upon earth god answered that i love you often that i have from my nature for i myself am love that i love you excessively that i have from my desire for i to desire that men love me excessively that i love you long that i have from my everlastingness for i am without end the religious regression makes use indeed of the parent image without however consciously making it an object of transference for the incest horror forbids that it remains rather as a synonym for example of the father or of god or of the more or less personified symbol of the sun and fire sun and fire that is to say 
the fructifying strength and heat are attributes of the libido in mysticism the inwardly perceived divine vision is often merely sun or light and is very little or not at all personified in the mithraic liturgy there is found for example a significant quotation the path of the visible gods will appear through the sun the god my father hildegard von bingen eleven hundred to eleven seventy eight expresses herself in the following manner but the light i see is not local but far off and brighter than the cloud which supports the sun i can in no way know the form of this light since i cannot entirely see the sun's disk but within this light i see at times and infrequently another light which is called by me the living light but when and in what manner i see this i do not know how to say and when i see it all weariness and need is lifted from me then too i feel like a simple girl and not like an old woman simeon the new theologian nine seventy to ten forty says the following my tongue lacks works and what happens in me my spirit sees clearly but does not explain it sees the invisible that emptiness of all forms simple throughout not complex and in extent infinite for it sees no beginning and it sees no end it is entirely unconscious of the meanings and does not know what to call that which it sees something complete appears it seems to me not indeed through the being itself but through a participation for you enkindle fire from fire and you receive the whole fire but this remains undiminished and undivided as before similarly that which is divided separates itself from the first and like something corporeal spreads itself into several lights this however is something spiritual immeasurable indivisible and inexhaustible for it is not separated when it becomes many but remains undivided and is in me and enters within my poor heart like a sun or circular disk of the sun similar to the light for it is a light that that thing perceived as inner light as the sun of the other world is longing is clearly shown by simeon's words and following it my spirit demanded to embrace the splendour beheld but it found it not as creature and did not succeed in coming out from among created beings so that it might embrace that uncreated and uncomprehended splendour nevertheless it wandered everywhere and strove to behold it it penetrated the air it wandered over the heavens it crossed over the abysses it searched as it seemed to it the ends of the world but in all of that it found nothing for all was created and i lamented and was sorrowful and my breast burned and i lived as one distraught in mind but it came as it would and descending like a luminous mystic cloud it seemed to envelop my whole head so that dismayed i cried out it left me alone and when i troubled sought for it i realized suddenly that it was in me myself and in the midst of my heart it appeared as the light of a spherical sun in nietzsche's glory and eternity we meet with an essentially similar symbol hush i see vastness and of vasty things shall man be done unless he can enshrine them with his words then take the night which brings the heart upon thy tongue charmed wisdom mine i look above there rolls the star-strewn sea o night mute silence voiceless cry of stars and lo a sign the heaven its verge unbars a shining constellation falls towards me it is not astonishing if nietzsche's great inner loneliness calls again into existence certain forms of thought which the mystic ecstasy of the old cults has elevated to ritual representation 
in the visions of the mithraic liturgy we have to deal with many similar representations which we can now understand without difficulty as the ecstatic symbol of the libido after you have said the second prayer when silence is twice commanded then whistle twice and snap twice and straightway you will see many five-pointed stars coming down from the sun and filling the whole lower air but say once again silence silence and you neophyte will see the circle and fiery doors cut off from the opening disc of the sun silence is commanded then the vision of light is revealed the similarity of the mystic's condition and nietzsche's poetical vision is surprising nietzsche says constellation it is well known that constellations are chiefly thereo or anthropomorphic symbols the papyrus says five-fingered stars similar to the rosy-fingered eos which is nothing else than an anthropomorphic image accordingly one may expect from that that by long gazing a living being would be formed out of the flame image a star constellation of thereo or anthropomorphic nature for the symbolism of the libido does not end with sun light and fire but makes use of wholly other means of expression i yield precedence to nietzsche the beacon here where the island grew amid the seas the sacrificial rock high towering here under darkling heavens zarathustra lights his mountain fires these flames with grey white belly in cold distances sparkle their desire stretches its neck towards ever pure heights a snake upreared in impatience this signal i set up there before me this flame is mine own soul insatiable for new distances speeding upward upward its silent heat at all lonely ones i now throw my fishing rod give answer to the flame's impatience let me the fisher on high mountains catch my seventh last solitude here libido becomes fire flame and snake the egyptian symbol of the living disc of the sun the disc with the two entwining snakes contains the combination of both the libido analogies the disc of the sun with its fructifying warmth is analogous to the fructifying warmth of love the comparison of the libido with sun and fire is in reality analogous there is also a causative element in it for sun and fire as beneficent powers are objects of human love for example the sun hero mithra is called the well-beloved in nietzsche's poem the comparison is also a causative one but this time in a reversed sense the comparison with the snake is unequivocally phallic corresponding completely with the tendency in antiquity which was to see in the symbol of the phallus the quintessence of life and fruitfulness the phallus is the source of life and libido the greater creator and worker of miracles and as such it received reverence everywhere we have therefore three designating symbols of the libido first the comparison by analogy as sun and fire second the comparisons based on causative relations as a object comparison the libido is designated by its object for example the beneficent sun b the subject comparison in which the libido is designated by its place of origin or by analogies of this for example by phallus or analogous snake to these two fundamental forms of comparison still a third is added in which the tertium comparationis is the activity for example the libido is dangerous when fecundating like the bull through the power of its passion like the lion like the raging boar when in heat 
like the ever rutting ass and so on this activity comparison can belong equally well to the category of the analogous or to the category of the causative comparisons the possibilities of comparison mean just as many possibilities for symbolic expression and from this basis all the infinitely varied symbols so far as they are libido images may properly be reduced to a very simple root that is just to libido and its fixed primitive qualities this psychologic reduction and simplification is in accordance with the historic efforts of civilization to unify and simplify to syncretize the endless number of the gods we come across this desire as far back as the old egyptians where the unlimited polytheism as exemplified in the numerous demons of places finally necessitated simplification all the various local gods amon of thebes horus of ephu horus of the east Kunum of elephantine atum of heliopolis and others became identified with the sun god re in the hymns to the sun the composite being amon re harmachus atum was invoked as the only god which truly lives amenhotep the fourth eighteenth dynasty went the furthest in this direction he replaced all former gods by the living great disk of the sun the official title reading the sun ruling both horizons triumphant in the horizon in his name the glittering splendor which is in the sun's disk and indeed armon adds the sun as a god should not be honored but the sun itself as the planet which imparts through its rays the infinite life which is in it to all living creatures amenhotep the fourth by his reform completed a work which is psychologically important he united all the bull ram crocodile and pile dwelling gods into the disk of the sun and made it clear that their various attributes were compatible with the sun's attributes a similar fate overtook the hellenic and roman polytheism through the syncretistic efforts of later centuries the beautiful prayer of lucius to the queen of the heavens furnishes an important proof of this queen of heaven whether thou art the genial ceres the prime parent of fruits or whether thou art celestial venus or whether thou art the sister of phoebus or whether thou art proserpina terrific with midnight howlings with that feminine brightness of thine illuminating the walls of every city this attempt to gather again into a few units the religious thoughts which were divided in countless variations and personified in individual gods according to their polytheistic distribution and separation makes clear the fact that already at an earlier time analogies had formerly arisen herodotus is rich in just such references not to mention the systems of the hellenic roman world opposed to the endeavour to form a unity there stands a still stronger endeavour to create again and again a multiplicity so that even in the so-called severe monotheistic religions as christianity for example the polytheistic tendency is irrepressible the deity is divided into three parts at least to which is added the feminine deity of mary and the numerous company of the lesser gods the angels and saints respectively these two tendencies are in constant warfare there is only one god with countless attributes or else there are many gods who are then simply known differently according to lo locality and personify sometimes this sometimes that attribute of the fundamental thought an example of which we have seen above in the egyptian gods with this we turn once more to nietzsche's poem the beacon we found the flame there used as an image of the libido theriomorphically represented as a snake also as an image of the soul 
this flame is mine own soul we saw that the snake is to be taken as a phallic image of the libido appeared in impatience and that this image also attribute of the conception of the sun the egyptian sun idol is an image of the libido in the combination of sun and phallus it is not a wholly strange conception therefore that the sun's disc is represented with a penis as well as with hands and feet we find proof for this idea in a peculiar part of the mithraic liturgy in like manner the so-called tube the origin of the ministering wind will become visible for it will appear to you as a tube hanging down from the sun this extremely important vision of a tube hanging down from the sun would produce in a religious text such as that of the mithraic liturgy a strange and at the same time meaningless effect if it did not have the phallic meaning the tube is the place of origin of the wind the phallic meaning seems very faint in this idea but one must remember that the wind as well as the sun is a fructifier and creator this has already been pointed out in a footnote there is a picture by a germanic painter of the middle ages of the conceptio immaculata which deserves mention here the conception is represented by a tube or pipe coming down from heaven and passing beneath the skirt of mary into this flies the holy ghost in the form of a dove for the impregnation of the mother of god honegger discovered the following hallucination in an insane man paranoid demand the patient sees in the sun an upright tail similar to an erected penis when he moves his head back and forth then to the sun's penis sways back and forth in a like manner and out of that the wind arises this strange hallucination remained unintelligible to us for a long time until i became acquainted with the mithraic liturgy and its visions this hallucination threw an illuminating light as it appears to me upon a very obscure place in the text which immediately follows the passage previously cited me translate this very clearly and towards the regions westward as though it were an infinite east wind but if the other wind towards the regions of the east should be in service in the like fashion shalt thou see towards the regions of that side the converse of the sight in the original o thou pua is the vision the thing seen anapatha means properly the carrying away the sense of the text according to this might be the thing seen may be carried or turned sometimes here sometimes there according to the direction of the wind the othapa is the tube the place of origin of the wind which turns sometimes to the east sometimes to the west and one might add generates the corresponding wind the vision of the insane man coincides astonishingly with the description of the movement of the tube the various attributes of the sun separated into a series appear one after the other in the mithraic liturgy according to the vision of helios seven maidens appear with the heads of snakes and seven gods with the heads of black bulls End of section nine